thanks for joining us for this Prima podcast. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. October is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. National Cybersecurity Awareness Month was designed to increase awareness regarding the significance of cybersecurity, as well as provide the necessary resources to ensure people are safe and secure online. To commemorate the 15th anniversary of National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, Prima created a National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Each week during the month of October, Prima will feature podcasts that share important information about cybersecurity. On this podcast, Rob Karras, Director of National Cybersecurity Assessment and Technical Services at the United States Department of Homeland Security, will discuss lessons learned from being an adversary. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rob Karras, and I work for the Department of Homeland Security. I came to DHS in 2010 to start what we call a red team or a hacking team for the federal government. My background before DHS, I graduated from uh, James Madison University in 1991 and have been in computers before then and and since then uh, started off working for the federal government for the uh, Naval Intelligence and Department of Information for for DISA. Um, I went to the private industry for about 12 to 14 years uh, where I started red teams and penetration teams and we did hacking and penetration testing for, or I did penetration testing for uh, private industry, for banks, for commercial companies, and uh, opportunity came available at DHS, and, and I took it, and I've been here uh, since then and, and built this team for the last eight years. So it's it's morphed over over the uh, the time since I've, I've been here. When I when I first came, we were only focused on federal customers. So when I came to DHS. The idea was to identify vulnerabilities in the .gov, what we call the .gov. And so there's uh, roughly 100 different department and agencies, and and that was our customer base. Created some services, and they were so successful that we actually moved over to the NKIC. And when we moved to the NKIC, our customer base broadened. So we not only were able to uh, offer our services to federal agencies, but we're also able to offer them to state and local governments and also private sector, so the critical infrastructure, water, chemical, energy sectors. So currently we have over 800 customers. 100 of them roughly are federal government customers. We have 350 state and local government customers, and then uh, roughly about 350 private sector customers. The services that we offer, we offer various services. First one I'm going to talk about is a service called Cyber Hygiene. That's where our bread and butter and where uh, we made our mark. So that's actually uh, vulnerability scanning devices and computers that are connected to the Internet. So we work with these federal department and agencies and state and local governments and private sector companies, and they have resources that are connected to the Internet. We conduct vulnerability scans on them, and then any vulnerabilities that we identify, we give them a categorization, and we rank them either as critical, high, medium, or low, and then we provide them a report and we show them the vulnerabilities that we identified and the mitigation paths on, on how to, to, to fix those vulnerabilities that we identified. We also give them trends. So, for instance, in, in the federal government, we, we track trends on, on critical and high vulnerabilities, and we see how long it takes these various department and agencies to close the, the vulnerabilities. 
if we announce and or we identify a vulnerability one week, does it take them a day to close it? Does it take them two days? Does it take them a week or three days? And we're trying to really use this service to reduce the uh, closure rate of the vulnerabilities. So when we first started the um, cyber hygiene program, it was success and and people were working on it, but there were some agencies and some customers uh, that weren't. And we noticed that critical vulnerabilities were residing out on the internet for hundreds of days. So DHS worked with these federal agencies and uh, actually created what's called a binding operational directive, or as a BOD for uh, nomenclature. And BOD 1501 was was released, and that informed all federal department and agencies that they had to close critical vulnerabilities within 30 days. So what we what we saw was the closure rate of critical vulnerabilities that we identified went from hundreds of days being open to under 30 days. And right now the average rate is about 12 and a half days. So it's a pretty big step to reduce the exposure on the internet of these critical vulnerabilities like that. The second service that we offer is called the risk and vulnerability assessments. These are one-on-one engagements with customers where we actually act as an adversary. So the very first week, what we'll do is we'll sit in our lab in, in Arlington, Virginia, and we'll try to break in to the customer's network. We do phishing uh, tests. We do web application tests. We do basic network tests to see how we can act as an adversary and get to the inside of their network. The second week, we actually go on site, a team of three to three to five engineers show up, depending on the size of the network in, in the company. We bring our laptops and with our tools, and we put them on their network, and we act as a, as a trusted insider. We try to get to various uh, points of presence that the uh, customer might want, a certain database or a certain financial system or even a certain engineering network that's on there, and we elevate privileges. We basically do what hackers do, try to get get to that network. And then what we do is we give them a report at the end and and an outbreak, and we show them the weaknesses in their network and, and how we were able to move around how we were able to elevate our privileges, how we were able to run tools, and whether we were detected or, or not detected. So all these services, the risk and vulnerability assessment and the cyber hygiene service and, and the other assessments that I'm going to talk about, um, before we actually do them, we have legal agreements. So we don't do anything just, just to do it because we're the federal government. We actually have a, a legal agreement that sets the and, and binds us to what we can do and what we can't do. We always have a trusted advisor at our customer site, so they know exactly what we're doing, and we advise them of, of every step of, of what we're going to do. So, for example, I'll talk about the risk and vulnerability assessment. During week one, what we want to do is we want to scan their network and identify and, and explore their network. So we try to identify what hosts are on their network, what ports are on there, what kind of services are on there. We send phishing emails. But before we do any of this, we talk to the customer and we tell the customer, hey, you know, it's, it's Monday morning, we're going to start our vulnerability scans, or we're going to start our NMAP scans, or we're going to start looking at this and, and doing this. So then the customer gives us the green light and we start. When we send the phishing emails, we have a, a dialogue back and forth with our trusted contact that says, hey, this, these are the types of uh, phishing campaigns or emails that we're going to send. Are you okay with this? Does this violate any anything on, on your side or can we send it? And typically, there's a negotiation back and forth, uh, what we can send and what we can't send. But the, the, the main point that I want to drive is that the customer is always in charge and the customer is always aware of what, what we're doing and when we're doing it. So they should never be blind and, and we're, we're transparent with everything that we do. A couple other services that we've recently offered 
We have a uh, phishing campaign assessment, and that uh, basically measures an organization's propensity to click on phishing email lures. We have different sophistication levels, so sophistication level one through sophistication level five. And level one might be an email with some misspellings and, and bad grammar in it. So we're trying to see how educated users are and if they recognize, oh, yeah, this is bad grammar or this just doesn't look right or something's wrong with it, do they click on it versus sophistication level five where it might look like it's an internal memo coming from the organization, finance department or human resources department or something. And what's what's the difference in that? And then are people more susceptible to click on an email, you know, Tuesday morning versus Friday afternoon? Um, and then just try to get into the whole psychology of human relations and how they interact with, with email. So that's a, a six-week engagement. And after the six weeks, we give them a, a nice report and we, we show them where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and where they can improve. The good thing for us and, and the good thing for the customer is is that, you know, the weakest factor is always the human factor. But what we're trying to narrow down and what we're trying to figure out is where does the human factor break down? Does it break down, you know, at lunchtime on Tuesday? Does it break down when there's something breaking in the news or what is it? And we're trying to use real data to drive our decisions. And I guess I, I should have gone back and talked about um, – couple of the goals of, of the overall program. So when I came to DHS, two main goals that we had were to make decisions based on data. Everybody always says, you know, cybersecurity this, cybersecurity that, and everybody has a lot of thoughts and, and a lot of ideas. And, and, and a lot of them, you know, you, you can trust your gut and, and be right 90% of the time, maybe even 95%. But what I wanted to do was get hard data, consistent data, that we could send to our policymakers up in Congress and the, the leaders of DHS to make decisions, such as the BOD. Before we started up cyber hygiene and did the vulnerability scanning, nobody knew that it was taking hundreds of days to close these vulnerabilities. But we had the hard data to back that up, and now we have the hard data to show that the federal government's in a much better place, that it's 12 and a half days to close a critical vulnerability. The second thing is that I wanted to do was I wanted to identify and eliminate remote attack paths. So we're doing that. We're identifying external paths that adversaries can use to get in, and we're notifying our customers, hey, you have an issue there, let's fix this. So those were the, uh, the, the main reasons that came, and those are some of the services that we offer. All of our services that DHS offers are, are free of, of charge. So there's a uh, legal agreement or a couple of legal agreements that we have to get in place, and then we get people put on a list, and we have a prioritization queue that we go through quarterly where we sign up customers. Thanks, Rob. And thank you for being a part of the Cyber Podcast Series. What does day-to-day work look like at the NCATS? So I guess it depends what day-to-day work looks like at the NCATS. I guess it depends on who you're talking with. So if you're talking with me, I'm working with a lot of DHS leadership to get them to, to understand the needs that my team requires to do their, their good work. If you're talking to the to the penetration testing team, it, it's a lot of a lot of research that they're learning new phishing techniques on how to craft a certain email or or what kind of a payload. So so when we when we send a a phishing email, I'll go into this in, in a little detail. We'll send let's say a, an, an attachment. We'll send an attachment to somebody, and inside that attachment is what we call a payload. Inside that payload, there there's specially crafted code to get around people's proxies or, or to get around controls that, that agencies or, or stakeholders might implement. So they're researching various ways 
to craft these payloads to get by and, and bypass people's uh, cyber defenses. If you talk about the uh, cyber hygiene day-to-day, it's a lot of customer interaction. So as I said, we have over 800 customers. So we're, we're constantly interacting and keeping them abreast of, of what we're doing. Uh, they have questions on what we're doing. Uh, we deliver uh, every Monday 800 and I don't know what it is, 845 reports. So we have a lot going on, but but it's highly technical and it's highly motivated, and we get to act like a cyber attack, a cyber adversary. Um, so, you know, it's it's pe- people think outside the box, you know, and everybody says that. But if we breach the network and, and we're on a network and and there's a antivirus control that that's stopping us, the guys go go to it and, and put their hats on and and craft some payload that can. Uh, defeat the antivirus and they do it in real time. So uh, there's a lot of excitement going on and, and there, there's, there's a lot of good work and, and there's always, always a buzz down, down in what we call the lab because we only have to be right once and uh, getting right once and, and getting on somebody's network is almost like hitting, hitting, hitting a home run. But it, it, it's good because we're the good guys and then we go and we tell the companies, hey, this is how we got in and we see a lot of action and we get a, we get a lot of satisfaction because we see the, the customers close the stuff in, in real time. So if, if we get in one way or, or we, we identify something, it's not like we wait till the next Monday or next Tuesday to notify them. We're on the phone with them right away, telling them, uh, letting them know how we got in because it's a critical issue. And we work with them in real time to, to solve issues and problems. So I don't think any day is the same, but a lot of the customers' reactions are the same, and they're really grateful and, and happy that we're there to, to assist them. How many states and local jurisdictions have requested your services? So right now, as I said, we have about 850 customers. I think we represent at least 41 states. So we're we're in uh, we're in 41 out of the 50 states with local governments. Uh, that's with private sector and that's with actual state state uh, government resources. Uh, uh, last week I had a, a couple teams that were were out west. Uh, so we're located in Virginia. So out west to me is west of the Mississippi. But we had two two penetration teams test teams uh, go out there, and one of them I I heard from the customer, and they uh, actually called me and sent me a note over the weekend because they had other penetration test teams come in uh, earlier in the year and they weren't able to get as much done or, or find as much as, as my team was and they just wanted to call call in and thank us. So we're, we're spread out through the country. Most of my team is in Arlington, Virginia, but but we're branching out. I have, I have uh, people that actually work for me uh, down in Florida, uh, down in Texas, and out in Idaho. What are the three most interesting adversarial tools and techniques that you have seen? So that, that's more on the defensive side. So I could tell you what we use and, you know, the tools that, that we use is mainly uh, open source tools. We use uh, Bloodhound, which actually came out of this office. Some contractors were, were working for us uh, years ago, and we had a need to automate some, some things. So that instead of uh, doing everything by hand, Bloodhound tool was born. We use uh, Kali Linux toolkit and we use um, Metasploit. So th- those are the main tools that, that we use. And a lot of the reports that I see, the, uh, a lot of uh, adversaries are, are using the same stuff. What are the lessons learned from being an adversary that our audience can use to improve their cybersecurity from the end user to risk manager and the CIO? That's a great, great, great question. So a lot of stuff that, that we learned, things are getting tougher for us. So as I said, I've been doing this for 
since the early 90s, uh, when I started, it, it was easy to uh, break in from the outside. So web applications are getting more, more mature. People are moving to the cloud. And people, people actually have a, a pretty good handle on, on their external controls and external security. Where it really breaks down is on the inside. So a lot of times, it's really tough for us to, to break through that, that outer layer. But exploit vulnerable web apps, they're more and more rare. But once we're on the inside, it's really easy for us. You know, people try to use unrealistic reliance on technology. People use PIP cards, smart cards, two-factor authentication, and, and they feel good about themselves that they, they've implemented these. Well, a lot of our tools and our, a lot of our techniques can get around that, and they don't stop the adversary. So it gives people a false sense of security, even, even though they implemented those things. It, it doesn't stop us. So I think the old adage that it's, you know, hard and crunchy on the outside, soft and chewy on the inside, it, it's still... To this day, people are doing a lot better job of uh, network segmentation. And kudos to the one team that I, I was talking about last week or, or the one company that I went to last week. They actually had segmentation, one of the best segmentations that, that my team saw. And it was hard for them to get around from network to network to network. But once again, we only have to be right once. And, and the guys defending have to be right all the time. We found a document on a, on a share drive that listed a bunch of passwords. And once we found that, we had the king's keys to the castle, and we were able to go from segmentation to segmentation. So, and people didn't notice us. So, I think we have to understand how the, how the red teams or or the adversaries are getting inside. We still have to rely on the, on the tools and the two factor authentication, but we have to notice that that's not a silver bullet. And I think we have to do a better job of of training our uh, SOC and, and people that are watching the network and and get them to to know what to watch for and what logs to see and any nuances or, or any glitches that are on the network and, and pay attention to them and, and how do they research and, and find them. So I guess long-winded, so it's hard for us to get it in uh, from the outside, but once we're on in the inside, or it's, it's hard for us to get access externally, but once we're on the inside, it's just really wide open and, and people have a long way to go and I think people need to put more resources on, on watching the network. I, I know it's hard because we uh, disguise our, our traffic with, with the regular uh, data flow. But if, if you're not looking and, and you're not aware uh, and you don't even have the right logging in, then you don't even have a chance to find us. Based on all of your assessments overall, what are the top three cybersecurity lessons you could provide to our audience? Some of the top trends, the, uh, the two main ways that, that we get in from the outside the very first way that we get in is phishing. We have seen phishing lower. Um, our, our successful phishing rate was in the mid-20s, and, and now it's in the, in the upper teens, so, so that's good. But once again, it only takes us one, one phishing a, attack to get in. So uh, that's, our, that's our number one go-to, and I'd say we're over 99, 98% um, effective of getting in that way. The second way is through username and password reuse. So a lot of people have uh, VPNs into their corporate networks or their agency networks. They're reusing their, their credentials. So a lot of high-profile uh, companies or websites had data breaches and had their usernames and, and passwords identified in, in the last couple couple years. You know, and if we go and we find those data breaches and, and look for usernames and passwords, that were, for example, Yahoo was, was breached years ago. People are still reusing their credentials that, that they used four, five, six years ago on their VPNs. And uh, it's, it's an easy way for us to get in. So 
people, you know, it, it just goes back to cybersecurity 101. It's easy. Change your password every 60 days, 90 days, 180 days, or whatever, but it shouldn't be every four years. So you take that one simple step and you have these data breaches. Well, that password able to be used for, for a short, short amount of time. And then I guess the third trend that, that we're seeing or, or lessons that we're seeing is that it's, it's easy to update and, and, and upgrade operating systems and, and applications, but we're still seeing t- in, in this day lots of outdated operating systems. We're seeing a lot of out, outdated applications that are being run on, on people's computers and, and machines, and, and those are just uh, attack vectors that, that we leverage and, and that the adversaries leverage. It, it, it's a capital cost, and, and it's a cost to, to upgrade those, but it, it's a greater cost uh, if you get breached because you're still running you know, Windows XP or you're running Windows 7 and you should have upgraded to Windows 10. So I would say the top three common lessons that we learned are uh, phishing still still an issue. It's our main issue. Password and username reuse and then uh, outdated operating systems and applications. Thank you for tuning in to Prima's National Cybersecurity Awareness Month podcast series. Should you have any questions regarding this podcast or any podcast in the series, please email education at primacentral.org. To learn more about Prima's educational resources, please visit primacentral.org. Have a wonderful day.